0: Are you looking for alternative investments and tangible assets that help you build and protect your wealth while empowering your financial future? Look no further than Eckerd Enterprises. With over 37 years of experience in the industry, Eckerd Enterprises is your trusted partner in the world of alternative investments and asset management. They have a track record of success with more than 1,300 investors who are on board and over $700 million in capital invested in tangible assets. Their specialty lies in offering immediate cash flow opportunities through mineral rights investments so that you don't have to wait decades to see your investments pay off. Their unique AML approach born from decades of experience focuses on aggregating, maturing, and liquidating assets strategically to maximize return. Join Eckerd Enterprises. Visit EckerdEnterprises.com today to begin your journey toward building and protecting our financial future. Financial Residency is proud to bring you Grand Rounds with Dr. Tammy. Each week, Tammy Kraus explores a new topic related to achieving financial independence by building and protecting your wealth. She invites guests who are experts in their fields who will share honest and valuable advice on a variety of topics. If you have an idea for a podcast, please email Tammy, that's T-A-M-M-Y at financialresidency.com. Now grab your front row seat to this week's Grand Rounds. Hi, and welcome back to Grand Rounds. As physicians, we tend to be perfectionists. We are type A personalities who need everything to be just so add into that the propensity for us to be people pleasers, whether that be with our C-suites or patients, and that may just form the perfect storm to kind of help lead to burnout. So today I have with me Dr. Megan Mello, who works with physicians who fit these molds to try and help them so they aren't overworking and find themselves undervalued and underpaid. She is also the podcast host of Ending Physician Overwhelm. Welcome to the show, Megan
1: great thank you so much for having me tammy i'm excited to talk with you today
0: i am so excited when you were talking about perfectionists it made me think about my notes and they have to be exactly just so that's so right first day on service i'm there hours longer than any of my colleagues because they just have to be perfect <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah that is a common area and something that i work with a lot with people because you know at one point in our careers right when we were in training we got brownie points for writing beautiful notes, right? They need to be really complete. They were always way longer and way more <laughs> detailed perhaps than our attendings would write, you know, but we got praised, right? And so we learned, oh, a long, beautiful, precious note is really important, right? I get a little dopamine. I get a little gold star for that. And we keep doing it, even though we might <laughs> I mean, be the that- only person reading our notes, Right. We do not need A-plus work anymore in those notes. They need to be accurate, right? They need to reflect what we've done. They do not need to be A-plus. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so yeah, I'm going to need you to help me out a little bit after the show as well. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, yeah. You work with a lot of physicians and you do a lot of work with burnout in particular. I guess let's start by just telling us a little bit about yourself and how you got into this.
1: yeah. So I live in Seattle, Washington. I'm a family and obesity medicine physician. And I've been doing, I was doing full scope family practice, including uh, deliveries for about 11 years after residency. And what I found happening for me through that journey is I never sort of turned off those exact same things that we were just talking about, right? Like I felt like my notes had to be very complete I felt like I couldn't say no to people. I felt like I always had to work harder and harder and harder. And of course, the responsibilities just increase tremendously right after we leave residency. We think things will be easier, yeah. but actually they get harder and more complicated and we get more you know, non-clinical roles as well as leaders. So life just seemed perpetually to get harder and harder. And I felt like I was on this journey trying to find out what's the answer? What's the secret sauce? Like, how are people doing this? And as I would ask people and talk to people, I would kind of end up getting a lot of shrugs and kind of blank stares. And I don't know, you just do it. But it didn't really seem like a satisfying answer. I was like, there has to be something else, something that I'm missing or something's wrong with me or something. And I just felt like I couldn't find the answer and went through several periods of burnout myself. And each time I would kind of come back, sort of feeling like I had to armor up as Brene Brown says, you know, like I had to be a little tougher, I had to, you know, kind of force myself to somehow be a little bit more resilient. And that didn't work either. That's not the answer. And so ultimately, I found a coach's program. And you know, sort of learned some of these tools and it made a tremendous difference for me in my life. And I saw how much these habits of perfectionism and people-pleasing and these ideas that I had that I couldn't set boundaries were really impacting me. You know, the systems that we work in are very broken and they have been broken for a long time. And the pandemic made it worse, but even if the systems fix themselves, so much of of what we struggle with is our patterned thinking and, you know, the way that we've told ourselves we have to work to be doing a good job. And so until we really address that, you know, burnout really doesn't resolve.
0: That makes sense. Now, before the show, we were kind of talking about how coding, setting boundaries, not valuing maybe our own knowledge kind of plays into that. How do you help people recognize what they're doing?
1: yeah when we talk about coding what often comes up and you know this might have more of an impact on people who are paid by productivity where people are often under coding often out of fear of being audited right they've been really taught that you know if they get audited and they're over coding right they're going to be accused of fraud and you know, they're gonna have all these legal ramifications. And so I see a lot of physicians undercoding for the work that they're doing, especially in primary care. You know, when we look at sort of a low complexity office visit, you know, 99213, that's often the code that's going on, even though two stable chronic conditions, right? Generalized anxiety disorder and major depression, that codes for a level four, <laughs> you know, there's there's a very basic sort of things. That should always bump us, you know, really up to that level with nearly all of the work that we're doing, but so many people are so afraid to use those appropriate codes. And what happens is, right, of course, less money comes in and there can be this expectation that's sort of built up of like, well, I'm not providing high value service, and you know not only does the organization you know kind of look at things and see oh well there's not a very high level of service going on you know therefore you should see more people right to get more money coming in but also we ourselves are feeling like we are not providing valuable care right especially if you look at the dollar amounts that are attached to some of these things compared to the years and years and years of training that we went through right if the math doesn't work very well. But it also erodes our sense of worth.
0: I think some things become so natural for us to take care of and throw in whatever specialty you are, AFib for the cardiologist or heart attack for the hospitalist. Yeah. And I think you're right. We don't realize how much knowledge went into becoming comfortable taking care of those things. Right. So right.
1: This is just a regular heart attack. But meanwhile... <laughs> You're a specialist, right? (laughs) Not everybody can do the work that you do. Yeah. I think you're right.
0: I mean, as part of the coaching, do you go in and not only kind of unwind all of that self-perception, but do you also talk about the coding and help them code better so that they bring in more income to account? It it depends.
1: (laughs) Sometimes we might be talking about that. I think more often I'm spending time with people getting them to spend less time on their notes, right? Like taking away that idea that we need to be doing A plus work because sometimes people will send me their notes to take a look at. And, you know, I can see right away all this detail and all this work that has gone in and, you know, we'll talk about it. And most of the note is not being completed at the time of the visit, right? Most of it is being completed on pajama time later, And providing the level of detail that just really isn't necessary. Some of my internal medicine colleagues in particular, they'll set aside a chart that seems complicated, right? They're like, well, I really need to think about this more. And there might be some, you know, sort of zebra that I have to look up, you know, when really they are allowed to think about it later and add an addendum, but they can close the note with this is the working diagnosis for now, or this is the working symptom, you know, and we're going to do these things, you know, and then proceed. Right. And you can always go back and and add a little attachment later, but, you know, we need to get the work done and we need to do it in front of our patients. Right. So it's visible.
0: That makes sense. And, and you bring up such a good point. I hear so many, and, and I'm thinking more primary care doctors, but it, I'm sure it crosses specialties. Those doctors, you know, spend, eight, nine, 10 hours in clinic with their appointments, but then they're spending another four hours at home. Finishing is no downtime anymore.
1: Absolutely. it's funny, a lot of the electronic medical records will track the sort of off hours amount of time charting. And they might actually, you know, trot that out to the physicians and show them, well, you know, you're spending four hours and your colleagues are spending two hours with kind of the supposition being, what's wrong with you? Why is it <laughs> taking so long? As opposed to, <laughs> how can we support you in reducing that time? You know, what could we be making easier? Are there things that should be documented by someone else? Can we leave some parts out, right? Really, that should be the question, rather than, you know, making it seem like they've, they're have they flawed in some way. We're not flawed. We are such hardworking people, But we've been primed for external validation through the process of medical school and residency, right, where we are conditioned to believe the evaluations coming from other people as the most important thing, because that's literally what we needed to do to get through medical school and residency. And that no longer applies when we leave. But many of us are still living our lives that way, right? We're still looking for approval. We're still looking to be you know, considered the best doctor, considered the, the easy doctor to work with in clinic, maybe, or <laughs> all of these things. And, you know, especially for those of us socialized as women, there gets to be this extra layer, right, of expectation that you're nice, you smile, you know, bring treats to the potluck, you know, all sorts of extra sort of things that get thrown in there that also make life, you know, more challenging for us.
0: True. Let's go down that route of people pleasers. And yeah. I'm thinking of my best friend, and she will listen to this and she will know who she is. Anybody asks her to sit on a committee or help mm-hmm. with the students or yes. insert XYZ here, yep. she always says yes. And I can see that burnout growing in her. Yeah. It's part of how you help people too, is like I'm always telling her, no, just yeah, learn
1: got to say no. no. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, it becomes. Like we do, we do some diving into that because there's a lot of things going on, right? We can be flattered by being asked to join something or, you know, participate. We can, we can interpret that as someone thinking that our participation is worthwhile and valuable, right? So there can be that element of it. You know, when we've been used to people pleasing for a long time as well, when we say no, when we practice, when we try and be brave, we often get pushed back. And that might be someone saying, Oh, but you know, are you sure? Cause you'd be really great for this role. Like, or we really need you, or it might be, well, I don't think you have a choice in this matter, or you really should do this. There's a number of ways that that looks, and we will often interpret that sort of pushback from people as a sign that we're doing something wrong, even if it's, because no, like I'm not available, like I don't have capacity or I'm I'm not interested in that. <laughs> <I do. laughs> There's so many of these things, you know, and if you think about it too, like we are the only people in, you know, the hospital or the clinic who get asked to join committees for free, basically, right? We do not get paid more. We usually don't get any less responsibilities clinically. You know, we're often giving up lunch hours or asked to come in early, can't you just? can't you just? All of that time matters. And we ought to be compensated in some way, but we rarely are That's
0: so true. how do you How do you help people break that cycle?
1: Yeah, I think first we have to really normalize that it's uncomfortable to say no. And sometimes that goes even deeper, right? Sometimes we grew up not being able to say no for a variety of reasons. And so we have this, sort of deeper sense that it's maybe not safe. So we have to really sort of talk through and find out kind of what are those thoughts that are connected with those emotions when you do try and say no. And once we can look and see kind of what those underlying thoughts are, then we're often able to decide how are we going to start changing our thoughts. I like teaching people to put a pause like they get asked to join a committee, you know, or take on some kind of extra project, to take a breath, right. And say, Hmm, that's interesting. I'm going to have to think about that and I'll get back to you as just creating a little bit of space so that the person has gotten some kind of an answer, right. Because it's usually not an emergency or even an urgent situation, right. Committees are very seldom anything urgent. (laughs) Um, But it also creates a little space for us to be able to, really, you know, think about, you know, are we interested in that? Does it fit? Do we have time for it? Um, and if not, then we come up with an answer, you know, that's a kind, but firm. No. And we practice that. I like that. Yeah. Even sometimes like just practicing and saying, you know, clear and kind, no statements as silly as it <laughs> sounds, because so many of us don't do that. Right. We just, just easier to say, yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And we need to stop doing that.
0: I like that. And I think that is so important. I was starting to burn out myself really during the height of COVID and ended up going part time in my job. And as part of that, I've realized that when I'm off, I don't, I don't want to work extra shifts. I don't want to come in for meetings. I don't want to do any of those things. And so I've gotten better at this over time, but I'm sure I have a little more learning to do as well.
1: Well, and we're such, you know, caring, compassionate people, right? That there's a lot of situations where we get asked to do more that we know affects patients, right? We might be asked, you know, can you just work in this, you know, this extra patient? Can you take an extra patient? You know, when you're in the hospital, you know, can you add an extra shift here and there? And When you're taking really good care of yourself on a regular basis, when you are getting, you know, the rest and the connection that you need, and you're in a good place, you have more availability to be flexible and say yes when you, when you want to. But so often that's not how we're doing things. And we might feel pressured or we might feel like, gosh, you know, these people aren't going to get care. You know, these people are suffering, and then we just decide that we'll suffer alongside and do more. And we feel frustrated and resentful underneath. And then we start feeling guilty for feeling frustrated and resentful, but really we're exhausted and overwhelmed.
0: I like that. Have you found that after going through some coaching, do people actually end up with more time and mm-hmm. more? Income? I mean, are they coding better? They're working less. Has it made that kind of an impact?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. I don't know directly on the income and, you know, the fin- the financial piece there, but people are definitely working less and then having to solve the problem of, gosh, what do I actually do with free time? <laughs> 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 because that's not normal for us either, right? And I actually have people write down, if we're going to block out some time on your calendar, right, that's just kind of blank space. You know, this is your rest and relaxation time, you know, let's have a small menu of things, you know, that you've kind of thought about in advance that actually are restful and relaxing because many of us will find ourselves, you know, binging on Netflix shows or scrolling our phones and there's amusement in that, but it doesn't really help us feel the ways that we want to, right? It really doesn't make us feel balanced. But you know, if you know that you've got a little bit of free time and you can pull out your phone or your, wherever your list is and see, oh, okay, well, this is time that I could, you know, read, I could go for a walk, you know, I could call my best friend, I might sit in a coffee shop for a while, then it's just much easier for us to be like, great, I'll do that because that sounds restful, as opposed to kind of the default, like I said, of I don't know, I've got time and then we sort of piffle it away. <laughs> I
0: hadn't even thought about that, but you're right. We have an extra five minutes, 10 minutes, an hour and
1: on your phone and scroll. (laughs) Right. And, you know, again, it's amusing, right? It feels like a break when we started, but afterwards we often really don't feel better. And so there can be a difference. Now you might, you might choose that. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to intentionally scroll Instagram and look at funny cat videos as my rest break but that's, you know, it's different when you choose it as opposed to like, oh, I just realized an hour went by. I've just been <laughs> sitting there kind of mindlessly scrolling.
0: Well, if anyone wanted to kind of get in touch with you and maybe get some help, learn some of those skills to say no and to really value yourself for the education that you have and the expertise that you bring, how would they get in touch with you, Megan?
1: So the best place for people to go is to my website, which is www.healthierforgood.com. And on there, you'll find my blog and links to my podcast, but you'll also find a link to set up a free initial call with me so we can talk more about working together. I also run a group several times a year called Healing Perfectionism in Women Physicians. And we we use Brene Brown's The Gifts of Imperfection to really kind of walk through a lot of different components of of what she calls wholehearted living through the lens of our work as women physicians. And so that's just a really wonderful group to kind of come together and get to really hear more about how normal we all are, right? How common our shared experiences are of these perfectionist and people-pleasing habits and, and really work together to make change. I like that. Can you tell us a little bit more about your podcast as well while you're here? Yeah. So my podcast is called Ending Physician Overwhelm, as you said. And a lot of the episodes are me sharing different sort of coaching tools and ways that some of these problems show up in our lives. So I talk a lot about, you know, kind of perfectionism and people-pleasing habits and, you know, where that might, like I said, show up in our lives I also bring on guests who are women physicians primarily, and they get a chance to share their stories and sort of their journeys in recovering from burnout and what they're doing now. So, some of them, you know, simply return to practice, but they're doing so in a more balanced way. Some of them have left medicine, some of them are coaches, some of them are doing different kinds of businesses or starting their own practices. Um, you know, but really taking back that autonomy and that ownership of their own lives and their own careers. It's a really wonderful resource for people to, you know, just kind of normalize the difficulties that we experience as physicians. And I think a lot of people can find themselves in the stories that we share.
0: Well, Megan, thank you so much for coming on the show. And again, that was healthierforgood.com. If you want to get Megan, And I hope you'll all tune in again next week for Grand Rounds. Thank you so much, Tammy. Thank you. For more information about alternative investments and asset management, visit EckerdEnterprises.com. And remember, Eckerd Enterprises is your gateway to tangible assets and lasting financial success. Visit Eckerd today.